Again, thank you for taking the time out to talk to me today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, I always like to start off by asking, um, what was your earliest musical memory? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> which, it's so funny to, to, to like think about that because like I just got asked that recently too. And I was just like, that is like one of the most mind-fucking questions. Like it's like, what was your first memory ever that you had? <laughs> or what was your first memory of music that you ever had? And like... I can't lie, like when I was like probably three years old is when the first Mortal Kombat movie came out. And I was so obsessed with that movie. Like I would recite every line. Like I used to make my mom and my dad play that for me like all the time when I was like three years old and my dad would come home and we'd have, I'd like make him fight me and stuff. So like (laughs) I'm going to have to say the Mortal Kombat theme song. It was like the da 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 that's Mortal yes <laughs> <laughs> i have very clear memories of that too um Dude. and that wasn't like too big of a stretch for your dad to play for you because he was super into dance music anyways right yeah my dad was always big into house music and um he was really big into trance back then too so he was always playing stuff in the car like subliminally and like yeah it was it was a fun thing like I remember like the matrix too. And like when the matrix came out, he would take us to the movies and we watched the matrix probably like snaking into the theaters, like 15 times. Like I swear <laughs> like, that that was so much good music in the matrix too. So, yeah, it like, really was man. So, and your dad was also the first person to like bring you to a rave. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of remarkable to have like your parents, not like, not just like support what you do, but they actively encouraged you to go in this direction. For um, sure. For what sure. was that like? Like as a kid, like having having somebody that was so into dance music that it like became a part of you. Well, I would say like I didn't really respect it until he took me to my first rave. Like mm. you know, I, I like I liked all like the Matrix and the and the Mortal Kombat movie music stuff, and that was fun. But like. My brother was the first person to really introduce me into music because he was so big into playing the guitar and he taught me how to play the guitar when I was eight. And I was really into like classic rock for a long time. So I used to think the stuff my dad listens to was like, oh, that's lame, you know, like it's not (laughs) cool. Like it's a weird because usually the dad listens to classic rock and like, right, that's what I was going to say. It's like, (laughs) so it was like reverse and my brother got me into that and then. Um, it was like that big wave hit when NWA hit, like in in LA and it was just like 2000s it was like Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Dre like it was all the west coast like yeah. hip hop like Bone Thugs and like we kind of like started getting more into hip hop and stuff and like I was just like only listening to hip hop for a long time after that and then um, yeah it wasn't like until I turned 15 when my dad bought this DJ controller, which I still have, which is funny. Um, Are you serious? He bought this little M audio controller and uh, he started trying to use it himself, but he never really got around to it. It was just laying around. And I was like always very interested in trying to learn every instrument that I can. So I like picked it up one day. I was like, dad, what is this? And he was like, oh, this is like a DJ thing. And I was like, this there's no like turntable i always used to think djs had to have like the turntables and stuff like just this little two-track controller that plugged into your computer and it run the program torque 
and it was like this thing that was like i don't know like before Man, that's tractor a <laughs> <laughs> that's a throwback it's super throwback and i was just sitting there like playing around with it for a while and then i had all my dad's like super housey old school tracks that it would be ripped it would just be labeled like track one through ten it wouldn't even have any labels no i didn't know any of the artists i was no idea what you were playing no idea but i was throwing it in and then i was taking stuff like that my other family like like i would take like the black eyed peas track and then throw it in there and just start mixing the two together without really knowing what i was doing i was like syncing the two like taking the bass out of one because i thought it was like too bass heavy and then like i started recording these mashups and like doing of these like old track tracks that i didn't even know what that was from carl cox back in the day and then mixing (laughs) them with like black eyed peas and like all this other like poppy type of stuff that was like i don't know i was like i wanted just stuff to like dj for my friends and like for parties and stuff so it was like very interesting (laughs) i love that i love that like your start in like producing music was like was so was so again like inspired by your dad like out of nowhere you kind of like you kind of like found that thing how did that like transition into you like really getting into producing your own music um well it kind of started when i was recording myself playing the guitar and i used to like sing and stuff and try to like make like cool like classic rock stuff and then like a little bit more into the emo shit and like that was a whole emo eighth grade year it was just like (laughs) one or two years where you just decided to like listen to taking back sunday and like just like try to sing and play the guitar so i downloaded audacity and then um i think i got grounded or something i did something bad and my mom grounded me and then uh, my dad was like here let me put this piece of software on your computer and he put FL studio on my computer and he just downloaded it and threw it on there. And it was like the trial run. He was like, if you like it, then I'll buy it for you. Wow. So then I was just sitting there like playing around with it for so long and he bought it for me. And then like that kind of tied in with the little DJ controller too, because then I was starting to throw in the, the recordings I would do from torque and then throw it into FL studio and try to chop them up and stuff. And like, do weird things to it like that before I knew how to produce. But, you know, that was the kind of cool thing is like, you know, I was just sitting around on FL studio, like not knowing what I was doing at all and making like what I didn't even know was house music, you know, right. it was just like clicking in things and like making weird beats and stuff. And, you know, experimentation stage that, that fun before time when you have no idea what you're doing and you have no idea if it sounds good, but it's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to keep doing this. shit. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like just pure joy of just making weird sounds and like throwing them together and like even though they don't make any sense, but yeah, uh, it wasn't really till like the year after uh, I ended up getting in a huge fight with my mom and like I was a very defiant person and my dad and my mom are separated. So I was living in Texas at the time. Right. And when I turned 16, just you know, I got kicked out of school. I was just on this very bad path. You know, yeah. I was, you know, hanging out with the wrong people and my mom's just had it with me. And it was like, you know, uh, basically to my dad, like, take him, yeah. <laughs> just take him. I can't handle it anymore. So I moved to California, back to California where I was born and literally just, uh, I was not on the right path even when I moved here. And it wasn't until my dad, uh, took me to EDC at the Coliseum. So, you know, I was starting to get more into house music with all the DJing and the producing and stuff. And he was like, 
you know, you're 16 this year, you're finally able to go to a rave. And that was like back then when you were able to go to EDC when you're yeah, it was like, was it 16 plus? Yeah, it was 16 plus back then. Yes, it was 2010. I remember uh, that was the last year too that they ever made it 16 and up because I think like a 14 year old got in and then she unfortunately passed away and it was like LA shut down EDC that year. But that was the crazy year. That was the year when all the fences came down. That's the year when everyone stormed the fences and yeah. I think it was during laid back Luke or something. It was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And people got trampled and stuff. And that yeah, was... no, that was a crazy year for for that was like a transitional year for dance music, like in general. Like that was like, we almost thought we were gonna lose it again. Yeah. Like like in the late like in the late nineties, we we're like, is it all going away again? And yeah. then it kind of came back raging after that. But yeah, that was a crazy year. That was, was a crazy, crazy year for you to go as a sixteen year old. Like you yeah. went with like at like one of the most iconic EDCs ever. Like what changed <laughs> it? What what was that experience like as a sixteen year old? Like walking into your first rave. Oh man, um, I, I mean, like you, I've never even seen, you know, coming being from Texas, the party scene is a lot different. It's like high school football, college football, all right. centered around the NFL or NBA. Like it's all sports oriented. So all the parties you went to were like tailgates and stuff. So like right. as a 16 year old moving to California, being, uh, you know, a little bit older and like, you know, I was I was drinking a little bit at 16, like right. experimenting with shit and like just walking into that. Like it, it reminded me of like, I don't know, just like a whole different world. It was like like you're legitimately walking into a carnival, but like with the nicest people ever and the coolest yeah. music ever and like all these crazy lights and people like not all these girls not wearing any clothes. It was just like. <laughs> I was like, there's no way this is real. Like it felt like a dream when you were walking in and yeah. like, just to be there with my dad, but not only my dad, but my aunt, and my uncle were there and like all of their friends. So like that I've known my whole life. So it was like, we had this crew of people I was with, uh, I felt safe. I didn't feel like I was, you know, scared at all. And it was just like this cool thing where it was like, I get to do this with my family. And I had all my other friends that bought tickets and they all rode together and, you know, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And like, I just remember that that moment was like, do I leave my family and to go hang out with my friends or do I kick it and hang out with my family? And like, for some reason, I was just wasn't feeling it. I didn't even want to hang out with my friends. I was like, my family's so cool. I just want to hang out with you guys. (laughs) That's so cool. That's so awesome that you like got like you had that like crossroads moment. And as a 16 year old, that's kind of a big deal to like make that decision to be like, no, I'm gonna stay with my family this time. My friends are, they can go do their own thing. That's fucking cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what changed for you that day? Like what was so impactful? Like you've said that that, that day kind of changed your life. Like mm-hmm. what, what, was, what was the one thing that you can kind of point to that was like, this is what I wanna do. Like, I wanna go after this shit. Um, I'm, uh, it was, specifically like certain people's sets and like music that I got introduced to yeah as well as like I like just heard like ghosts and stuff from dead mouse and I was like oh, okay that's the dude with the mouse helmet or whatever but like yeah. when I actually saw him play after cascade and they did like move for me and like all these records that were just like the 4 a.m like the like oh my god it was just like this whole another world opened up to me of like all this music that I've never heard and I was like just sitting there and, you know, 
I might have been a little buzzed or something, but I'm just sitting there and I'm looking and I'm like, I look at my dad and and it was specifically during Dead Mouse's set and I was like, this is what I want to do, Dad. Like, I I want to be that person on the stage. Like, this is, it's like the craziest energy and like, I just like had this epiphany of like, you know, I, as much as I love playing the guitar and I always knew I wanted to do something with music, I was yeah. like, this is like calling to me. I, I really feel like these are my people. This is like the energy just feels and it still gives me the chills like it's like talking about it it's crazy it's like it was definitely a life-changing moment it was like him Betty Legrand that night um Swedish House Mafia Cascade and then the next day it was like Wolfgang Gardner and Laidback Luke and like Afrojack and stuff like that it was like all this music that I got introduced to it just inspired me so much and like when I went home after that festival, I, I didn't do anything except for like lock myself in my room with FL Studio and the computer and just like every like, you know, few hours like, dad, come in here and check this out, like check this out. And <laughs> he was always like, oh man, that's so awesome. And he was just so supportive about it that it really like gave me the confidence to just keep going and going, you know? I love that. I love that. I love that. Like you have not just that you have this like a beautiful story about going to rave for the first time and being inspired so much, but also that sure like dad has always been there for you to like say, Hey, keep doing this. Like, I like this for you. That's like yeah. really special because so many people start as a deficit with parents who don't want them to go into the arts. And right, right. it's like massively important that we have artists like, you know, that makes everybody happy. Like to have that kind of encouragement is it's like a blessing. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like my dad is 100% Filipino, yeah. came from the Philippines when he was like eight or nine. Um, his parents, everyone in Asia you, that was born in Asia, all their parents want you to be lawyer, doctor, right? you know, that type of shit, like go to college, you know, like they didn't even let my dad have a girlfriend at all in high school, which is like, you know, it's just like, it goes to show you like, I guess he really wanted for me what he did, the opportunities that he didn't have. And like, you know, as successful as my dad is, like, I feel like, uh, you know, a big part of his success were just following what his parents wanted. And he wanted to give me that freedom to, to express myself, you know? <laughs> That's so great. That's so yeah. great. And then after EDC, did you like, you know, figure your whole school self out and like start, start like get on the right path? Cause you, I know you like went to, you ended up going to, production school after that. So mm -hmm. you must have at least figured out how to get on the right path to finish high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it was just kind of more like when I was 16, I was a junior because I'm like a year behind everybody. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I graduated when I was 17 the next year. And the next year when I started to enroll my senior year, I noticed there was a class offered to only seniors and it was called music tech. Yeah. So then that was my first period was music tech. And um, it was with my algebra two teacher. Um, his name was Mr. Kumar. And he also taught music tech. And uh, he basically made everyone learn logic. And he had they had a bunch of Mac, uh, Mac set up in a room, keyboard, little MIDI keyboards, little stations. And that was like the first time I actually got to like touch like equipment that was like properly set up. And that wasn't like just like me winging it. It was like, learning a whole new program, uh, collaborating and hanging out with my friends. And like, we would just go in first period and just go in and jam. And since I already made music before, um, I got to hit it off really big with my music teacher. And he, he would like give me like the special room. And like, he was like so supportive of my music too, because I was like posting him to blogs and he was like 
putting him up on the school board and like all this stuff. So it was like, it was really cool to be able to do music tech, but um, he was the person that said, you know, Dylan is as great of an artist you, as you are, you're still going to have to make money after right. you get out of uh, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to, you going to go to school for? And, you know, we we're learning like the very basics of audio engineering. So I was like, that's a good intro. Like I need to get better at, tuning the sounds and making everything sound better, maybe yeah. I'll just go to audio engineering school. And then that was how it really connected. And when I graduated, um, I got into Musicians Institute uh, in the audio engineering program. Right. And you did that for, you did that and you graduated and then you worked to work for a major label or I mean, I say work. Yeah. Um, you, you were an intern for a major label for a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah. Can you talk about that experience and like, like, that was even a like transformational period for you as well, right? That was for sure. So I went throughout, I did the two year course at Musicians Institute to get my degree um, in audio engineering. And it was the last semester of Musicians Institute um, and you had to do an internship. Yeah. So I applied everywhere to inter internships, literally to every single studio and I wasn't getting any response or whatever. Um, so I actually went which was right down the street from where I was living. I was living right next to Musicians Institute and Atlantic Records was on Cahuenga, uh down the street. So I remember walking in and being so excited and holding my resume with all the stuff and all my accolades. And I was top of my class and like kind of schmoozed my way into getting into talking to the right person at the right time. And, yeah. Um, they, they said, yeah, like you can do the internship at Atlantic Records and that was a six month internship it was maybe like the fifth month into the, the internship when i realized being an intern is really all just getting coffees for artists that are there so yeah. like <laughs> i never got to touch one piece of equipment go into any studio sit on any sessions whatsoever like i basically was able to go and run errands for everybody and get coffees for everyone and you know i was like complaining to my teachers like i haven't learned anything at this internship i just like <laughs> keep getting coffees for everyone and um you know i think it was that moment that really that was the first sign that i realized like the kind of work that i was getting into was still that nine to five it was still suppressing to be to like the artist that i actually am it was still right. like all of this work and and stuff but for other people's music and like you know, I was always making beats on the back end too. Like I was right. still making house music for all my friends, DJing parties for everybody at MI. And like, I think it was like the internship at the very end of it when I realized, you know, half the people that are working in the studio, uh, you know, just got in through somebody that they knew or it was like, you know, it, n none of the work that I've done and worked so hard for would actually pay off being in this setting, you know? Like. Right, 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 right. So that's like, that realization is like, it's kind of huge for every artist. And it like, it takes a lot of like belief in yourself and like a huge amount of risk to be like, there could be some stability in this thing, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna go off and do the thing that's completely unstable mm -hmm. because I really love doing it and I'm gonna see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you get the courage to do something like that? Um, I would have to say, you know, it was right before my grandma passed away. And mm. 
she always wanted me to get a degree and go to college and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I was super close to my grandma and we, we call her Lola in Tagalog and Filipino. So, yeah. uh, after I, I graduated from MI, you know, it was really like towards the end of her life where we were talking and I was just saying like, I don't know if I'm going to be happy doing this. And she kind of gave me the thumbs up of like, you know, uh, whatever it is that you want, go do what you want to do. And, you know, at that time too, my buddy and I were teaching at this club um, in Orange County called Merge. And one of the DJs there and the guy that throws Merge is his name is Sean Blakey. And he told us about Icon Collective. So that was yeah. like how it all kind of tied in for me. I was like, wait, I don't think I'm like done. Like, I just don't want to go like in working. Like, I want to pursue more of my education. I want to learn how to be more of an artist. And right. how there was this school that no one's ever heard of before. There was nothing really like it back then. And like, that's when I started going Icon Collective. Nice. That's so, that's so awesome that, that you were able to like find a place for yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of like take a step back and talk about like your background as a life, as a vocalist and as a live and as a person who plays instruments. Okay. Um, how does that like play a part in your, in your music today? Oh man. I think it's really what makes me the kind of artist that I am because uh, when I'm in the studio, it's more of a jam kind of vibe. Like, I don't really like to sit on the computer and, and click or like sit down like I am right now. I'm always yeah. standing and like thinking and walking around and like, you know, playing every other instrument. Like I've played the drums, the bass, the guitar, and I've done some vocal stuff in my life. And like, yeah. I really feel like that helps me be more of a producer, you know. Uh, being an artist and being a producer is also this separate sort oh, of absolutely. thing where it's yeah. like, you know, you have your musicians, but as a producer, you're making all these musicians work together. Right. But in our world, like you are the musician for every instrument. Right. So it's like, it's cool because I'm uh, none of the stuff that I do is quantized or like locked into the grid. It's more just, I'll play the same bass line for 30 minutes straight, just with my eyes closed until you really get that one take. And you could only be using like, four bars of that 30 minutes and then that's what makes the whole song special now i don't have to add all this other stuff in it because like i've really locked in this groove that was hypnotic to me and it was like you know it's a very intricate piece even though it's so simple you know <laughs> right i love that idea of like producing that way like of of really getting into the moment because you're mm -hmm. kind of putting yourself on the dance floor you're like in an essence you're like saying how am I going to make people feel this thing that I'm feeling? And mm -hmm. you're like really putting that into the music. I love that, that that's like part of your process. For sure. I mean, if you're not like standing up and like jamming to, to the song while you're making it, it doesn't really like translate the same way. It's like, I don't understand how people could sit there and like really just like, you know, click stuff in and then like expect like it to light the dance floor up because it's like, you know, like it's got to make you move in that way first, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's dance music, man. If you're not dancing in your chair while or, uh, getting up and dancing at least once during the session, then it ain't working. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and it's like um, uh, you can't be afraid to make the the accident. Like the some of the best parts of the song are little happy accidents that happen. Like I tweaked a knob off time, and it gave it this weird resonant twang, and like you know, it was like off time and it sounded weird, but then that hiccup became like, 
the new groove and then now you looped that section and that right. became the hook and then that's what made the whole song you know i love it that creative process it's almost like going back to that time when you were like had no idea what you were doing. But now that you know what you're doing, you know to pay attention to the happy accidents as opposed to being like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing anymore. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Insomniac too, because you, your first party was an Insomniac party. And uh -huh. that's where I came across you for the first time. Mm -hmm. And also you made your way back to Insomniac um, with like releases on the record label, but you mm -hmm. also played at EDC in 2019. Yeah. Um, you know, and on the Stereo Bloom stage, which is like my favorite stage. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, I love the big, I love the big stages, but Stereo Bloom is just like, kind of like a personal one for me, just because it's like all Insomniac records. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of a smaller stage and more tight knit, but it's still huge. What was it yeah. like playing? What was it like getting up on stage for the first time in front of all those people at the show that you went to for the first time as a raver? I mean, it, it just all came back full circle, you know, and it like, it, literally there's no better feeling in the world to like when you set out that was the goal since day one i was like i'm going to play at edc and i wrote it on my mirror when i was 16 and like always in the back of my head every single time and i didn't get discouraged you know like it was like working my way up to that and doing edc 2019 was probably the most rewarding part of my entire career because like bringing my dad back to EDC while I'm playing at Stereo Bloom for like, there was at least 10,000 people at the stage because Cascade got closed from the wind, Get oh, right. Real got closed from the wind. There was like a wind situation. I was like, please God, like if there was ever a moment to just like, just give me a solid, like, <laughs> like please don't close down the Stereo Bloom and it didn't close down and, um, we just had the best time of my life. It was like 10,000 people. Uh, we started playing at 4, 4 a.m. We played like the last set or it was like 5 a.m. And just, you know, from literally it being pitch black dark with all the lights to the sun coming up. And it was like, you know. What an epic moment, man. Like, yeah, you can't even what, describe the way that I felt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's glorious. Yeah. That is fucking was. glorious. And your dad was there, too. Yeah, you know, afterwards we were like tearing up and, and we had a good cry and it was just like, <laughs> you know, life isn't so bad, you know. <laughs> no, no, but, not at all. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome that like you get to stand in front of people and do this for a living. That's that's an amazing thing. And after all of these years, like it feels like you were born into a situation that you were being groomed for this for like your entire life. Like you were being set up to yeah. get there <laughs> eventually. Yeah. For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, there's, so I have two more things. The first one is the last question, but then after that, we're gonna do this thing I, I call a speed round, where I'm gonna ask okay. you like a, a series of like really quick fire, some of them are silly questions, and okay. then you just answer as fast as possible. But before I get to that, okay. um, I always like to end by asking what excites you about the future of dance music? Oh, wow. I think what excites me about the future of dance music is that we're starting to experiment more with the live aspect of it and it just being like, okay, like there's only so much you can do with a pair of CDJs or DJ equipment, but having that and adding on to it, like I, I love to see Carl Cox's new live set where he is, there. there's only a DJ mixer, there's no tables, but there's yeah. a synth plugged in and there's uh, 
you know, this drum machine that's plugged in and it's all this gear that you're collecting. So now we're going back into the, like the band kind of feel where it was like, you know, you have to tour with all of your equipment and you're bringing all of your lights and you're bringing your visuals and like, we're going back to the, like the real rock and roll days of like yeah. it being like showmanship, like who can, who can show each other up on stage and like, yeah. you know, that's really where, where we're starting to work on, like just jamming live and bringing a synth plugging it in while you're playing and just kind of testing it out or like uh i really love what kink is doing dude kink is just yeah. oh my god like incredible you know. yeah have you seen jamie jones's uh like new thing opus one uh-uh so it's jamie jones on synths um and there's another woman who does like uh who also does synths and drums and then they have a full orchestra on stage Oh and they're basically they're basically performing all of Jamie Jones's music, but with the full orchestra and the synths and drum machines like all on stage. And plus, they have other songs that they've created just for this thing. Oh my god! See, yeah. that's that's the future of dance music right there. Yeah, I I want to <laughs> dance to that. Yeah. Jamie Jones on synths, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. It looks it looks incredible. Like they're doing they're actually doing a show. They're premiering it for the first time in the U.S. in New York tomorrow. So like. Oh. I have a friend that's going, it's just like, it looks so amazing. Like to, to see like dance music, like performed that way. That's yeah. next level shit, man. That, that it, for sure. It's like, then it's like, you're getting more people involved of like, you know, when you start working with real musicians and like you're orchestrating it all together, then like, you know, you don't even necessarily be the need to be the front man. You know, you're, you're just, no. I like holding the little, yeah. you know, you're the you're orchestrator. Just, <laughs> you just become part of it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. All right. So are you ready for his feed rounds? Let's do it. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Biggie or Tupac? Oh, Biggie. Nice. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Ramen or pho? Ramen. Pizza or sandwiches? Pizza sandwich. <laughs> yes, you're the second person to do that. <laughs> Intimate club or festival? Oh, I... I... I love them for both reasons, but I will say Intamin Club. All right. Rave or club? Uh, rave, for sure. No or beach? Uh, beach. Lake or ocean? Ocean. <laughs> All right. If you could have one superpower, would you choose flight or invisibility? Hmm. I would probably choose flight, so I don't have to buy any more plane tickets. There you go. <laughs> nice answer. <laughs> Analog or digital? Analog. House or techno? House. Would you rather swim in a pool full of Nutella or a pool full of maple syrup? Uh, Nutella. <laughs> it's going to be a lot harder than maple syrup, but they both are going <laughs> to just eat it the whole way. <laughs> drum and bass or trap? Uh, drum and bass. Pop or hip hop? Hip hop. Eric Prince or Carl Cox? Oh my God! Why? Why would you do that to me? Because <laughs> I know that you're a huge fan of Eric Prince. I know what I'm doing here, man. Oh man! <laughs> oh God! I sorry, but I guess Carl Cox. All right. Nostalgic reasons. I won't. I won't tell Eric Prince. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Please don't. Carl Cox or Chris Lake? Ooh. Another tough one. <laughs> this is uh, Carl Cox for sure. All right. <laughs> Flip flops or shoes? Uh, shoes. Pineapple on pizza? Yes. Finish this sentence. Before I die, I want to. Hmm. Before I die, I want to. Uh, 
raise a successful family, man. <laughs> nice answer. Beautiful. I love that. Um, your favorite character on The Office? Ooh. Um, Dwight. Beautiful. And last question, <laughs> guilty pleasure TV show? Um, probably Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I love watching Gordon Ramsay ream people. I can't stop watching it. Like I like got so into cooking and it was just like, I don't know, it's just, Gordon's just so satisfying to watch. <laughs> he really is. He really is. And let's be honest, his food looks all the food looks incredible all the time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time out to talk to us today. We really Dude, appreciate it. Alex, you're the homie, bro. Anytime, anytime. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, brother. All right. Peace. Peace, bro. Peace. <laughs>